Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Welcome back to Reframing Our Stories. We are so glad that you are here. We would love if you would subscribe, rate, and share our podcast with others. We would love for more people to find us. And for those who I know are loyal listeners, I just appreciate you coming back and hearing uh, the lovely people who we get to interact with and get to hear from their lives. Speaking of hearing from people's lives, again, we want to hear from you. So if you have stories that you've had to reframe around sexuality or grief or uh, religion and things like that, we would love for you to contact us. You can find the form on our website, www.reframingourstories.com. And if you go to the podcast tab, you would you will see share your story. We have a couple topics set up right now that we're interested in, but those topics will change as well once we get more people um, to share some of their stories. So please take a look at the list if that seems like something you are interested in. We would love for you to be on our show or for us to share your story where we can read it for you. So as a sex educator, I often say to people that what I've learned the most is that sex education is grief work. The more that people learn, and I probably have said this multiple times on my show, but the more people learn uh, about their bodies and about relationships and how they interact with each other, the more you can see as they make connections, some of the grief set in. The grief around, what if I had known this sooner? The grief of, what if the relationship went a different way? The grief of, I can't believe that happened to me. Where do I go from here? And so forth. And so you learn as a sex educator to be with people in those moments and to hold space for those moments because they can be hard. But with grief, as we are learning too, grief is something that ebbs and flows and is with us always. And it just comes in different forms. Today, our guest is someone who is an expert in grief and talks about it a lot as a sex therapist. So we'll get to explore the depths of grief today and how that interacts and plays throughout our life. So I hope you enjoy the show. It was one of my first ASECT conferences I had been to, and I sat next to another woman with red hair. She and I learned we went through the same sexual health education program, just in different years, and quickly found an ease with one another. Edie Nathan was this woman, and I found her to be incredibly insightful, wise, and calming. Edie Nathan is the best-selling author of It's Grief, where she examines the emotional and devastating impact of loss and trauma. Grief is hard to talk about. I, for one, growing up, stayed as far away as I could from it. Edie teaches you to dance with your grief, to know it as a way to know yourself whether it is the loss of a loved one or the loss of a limb or the loss of the life you once knew. It is your soul that offers the answers to relief. An essential element in her practice is to offer clients the chance to combine psychotherapy 
with a deeper, more spiritual understanding of the self. She is dedicated to helping people understand their grief, cope with the fear and struggle that holds them back, and learn to live fully. Edie, what a joy to connect again, and thank you so much for being on our show. It's great to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this has been a long time coming that we have definitely wanted to talk for a while, and I have always just been enamored and fascinated by your work and grief work. And especially because when we, or when I I was going through our sexual health program, really what stuck out to me the most out of almost all things was when Sally Foley said, you can't talk about sex without grief and loss. And when the, when that, when she said those, (laughs) that phrase, it was like, I was just hit in the chest um, and dumbfounded. And then everything kind of opened up for me just from that phrase. So I would like you to tell us more what that means. It's interesting because when um, people have talked about the orgasm, they refer to it as the little death. I've never heard of that. Because there's a place where you leave your body in the arc of ecstasy Mm -hmm. Mm. and it takes a bit of trust to allow yourself or allow oneself to uh to to leave to actually experience that point of ecstasy but the leaving of the body and the little death is also perhaps a little grief because it's so the lead-in can be delicious but the ecstasy itself, that moment of kind of where you're taking off lasts for moments. Mm-hmm. I think perhaps maybe that's why Tantra was created to be able to shed some of the, the, the momentary experience and to allow oneself to embody the experience of the ec- ecstasy over hours. I just, I've never had that explained to me in that way. I feel like how you said it takes a little bit of trust. And I feel like that is why there's so many people too, who getting to that point of orgasm have a really hard time. I completely agree with you. You know, it's such an interesting piece to imagine that to have that, that experience, that ecstasy, that, that you must feel some trust. What's also curious about this conversation is that it's not just the trust of your partner. Mm-hmm. It's also the trust of yourself, Right. that you can handle that joy, that you are maybe even feel worthy of it. Mm. Well, and that's actually before I even thought of partner, I thought of self <laughs> because yes, it is, you know, it is a place of And it's of letting go as well and lack of control. And I feel like that is the thing that we also fear the most is giving away control and also knowing what could be born from that lack of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the lack of control. Although I I, I do somehow think that it's a 
a fool's game to think that we're actually in control of anything. Well, right. I mean, right. that's our internal right. struggle. Always, always. <laughs> that is it. It is consistent. It is constant and it's constant. Mm-hmm. It's knocking on our doors. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we want to believe that we can control and grief is one of those things to get back to the grief conversation mm-hmm. that we can't control. It's, um, it's emotionally labile. It goes all over the place. It doesn't follow any rhyme or reason. And it's, it's, uh, it's like a phantom, a ghost that comes in and mm-hmm. visits and then it leaves. And then the ghost comes back and it's, uh, it can be like a nag, you know? Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you said that because one of my questions for you is, you know, if grief had a name or image attached to it, what would it be? somewhat of a phantom and so many other images come up, you know, it, it, it's also an unexpected ally and, and it becomes that unexpected ally because if you don't avoid it, if you don't try to say it's not there, but you actually acknowledge its presence, it can also be a, gr- a great teacher mm-hmm. and it can take you to places you never expected to go. And those places can be dark and those places can be illuminating and delicious and it's, it's, it's the whole enchilada, if you will, it's, it's everything. And it's layered with flavors and colors and, and darkness and light. This is strange, but for some reason in how you're even describing grief, there is this element though, that almost sounds enticing. And I know that sounds weird that I just said that, but I feel like we are constantly afraid of grief but I do think there's this element where grief can be a place where we, if we allow the time with it, can be maybe, can be transformative. It is. It is transformative. And instead of being transactional with grief, how about being interpersonal with it? Mm-hmm. How about engaging with it and dancing with it in a way like, okay, you know, when we dance with a partner, depending on the dance, depending on how we feel about ourselves in that moment, we can either be free or the dance can be staccato or the dance can be jagged and, or the dance can be a dance that you do all by yourself. And sometimes that's the most luscious and informing dance. And yet uh, grief, if you dance with it, if you invite it, if you allow the, 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 the depths of it, the, the lyricism of it, uh, the phantom of it to inform you, to take you to places that you never knew existed. And, and that could be the depths of the soul. So then what would you say that most of us, that we don't fully understand about grief? I don't know that I can answer that. What, what I can say is that it, as long as we don't engage with it and it's, and especially if it's there. And frankly, we've all gone through this pandemic, which is becoming an archetype. COVID is an archetype and an archetype is, is an image that we all know and relate to like mother. So if I mention mother, I don't care what language I'm speaking. I don't care where I am. I don't care what kind of human being you are. When I mention mother, you know what it is. Same thing with COVID. When I mentioned COVID, it does have an archetypal structure. We all know it. We feel it. And it, it's grief is, is like that archetype. It's 
we know it, we know it's there. And yet if we work very hard to just pretend it's not there, it may affect us, but it doesn't, but we decide whether or not it's going to inform us and allow, we will not understand whether it will inform us or allow us to grow or will, or will it, because we avoid it or ignore it, take us down. I feel like oftentimes we, we do try to ignore it, right? Because I mean, people don't like feeling uncomfortable and we push things away or we're too busy. And I do feel like when we continuously do that, it almost hits us harder <laughs> and makes us feel it even stronger. So what are the things that you have done in your practice where you've worked very intentionally with the ways you use psychotherapy and storytelling, where you allow people to dance with their grief, like you've said, what are some of the things that you do to invite people into that space where it's maybe not as daunting or, uh, you know, just a way that they can connect with that grief? As clinicians, we're often trained to diagnose and to slather that diagnosis, you know, you know, paint, paint the client with that diagnosis, go in with that, with a perspective of, okay, this is the diagnosis. And now I'm going to help you with that di diagnosis. And it helps to create somewhat of a platform. Yes. And yet I think I've taken the the, the diagnostic categories and I've thrown them out the window. And what I see when I walk in is grief and I want to know where is the grief mm -hmm. and you know, where is it hiding? When did it come up? What's the timeline of different losses? And the first, the first grief that we all experience is when we leave the womb mm -hmm. and you know, oh, yeah. and the, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a, it's a movement out and it's, you know, and, and for many that in, inner utero, intra-utero experience is warm and lovely. And I believe, although there's not a whole lot of science to back this up, that there are some in utero experiences that are not so good, mm. that, that are tumultuous, that are traumatic. Um, and if the mother felt shame that that child in utero may be born with a sense of shame mm. that has somehow gotten transferred, but not in any way that we can truly identify, uh, you know, so I think it starts there and maybe that was the only time in one's life where perhaps there was that sense of warmth or safety. Let's go through the timeline of grief so that we can see where it's created an obstacle so that you're not living your full life. I on occasion go and talk in churches and things about, um, you know, sexuality and one of the things I have talked about is along the same lines of that you talked about with the womb, where I said at one point in our lives, we have all been embodied. We've all lived inside of another body. And I do believe that our sense of longing for intimacy and longing for connection or sexual satisfaction is to feel that embodiment again like we did in the womb. Mm. That's, that's so beautiful, the way that you just framed that. And there is something about the embodiment and, and, and it's almost like, okay, so are you going to be my, 
my 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 body embodiment mm-hmm. and the the structure of that and the framing of that is is beautiful and lovely when we when we partner and yet the danger is wanting to fuse and then lose the self right and so how can you feel the warmth of that womb like experience with perhaps another and yet not have an umbilical cord that's attached yes But rat, right? But Mm -hmm. rather allow yourselves to function as whole separate human beings who come together and share part of their wholeness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sign for infinity, it's like a figure eight, like kind of on its side. So the place where uh, the coupling comes together is where that crossroads is, but otherwise they're separate. And it's the smallest part, right? Like yes. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's also the, it is the only part that connects mm-hmm. and yet it is what I think can sustain the sense of infinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think so often we, we lose that understanding of that, right. In terms mm-hmm. of codependencies mm-hmm. and different things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the things you have also utilized is the sense of ritual within your work and I think we have maybe as a society lost the the importance of ritual I think it's something we need to have more of and so I want you to actually speak more about ritual and why do you believe it's important in our lives ritual is ancient it's it, it has informed so much of our histories and it is the rituals of the ancients, I believe, uh, that um, have continued the, the storylines of generations and of theories and, and of wisdom. And it is those rituals that can be grounding. And when we take those rituals away, people, communities can feel like they are out of sorts. And again, an example of rituals that really were ameliorated or taken away during this pandemic were rituals around people who who died and not being able to say goodbye and not being able to have proper burials or delayed, or they had delayed burials. They weren't able to gather and depending on one's faith, they the gathering around the loss of a loved one might be different But what is a consistent ritual is that there is a gathering and a telling of stories and a, and a release and a letting go, not to forget, but to hopefully remember how the community held you in your grief as your loved one was gone, as your loved one was no longer within their body or no longer earthbound and I won't get all spiritual on you, but you know, there's a lot of schools of thought around that. You asked about, about my practice and what I do. And I, and I don't know that I fully answered that. And I just Mm -hmm. want to go back to this because really it has to do with the rituals and it has to do with stories and it has to do with what are the stories along your Mm -hmm. timeline, because I'd rather hear the story than, than, than hear what you think is wrong with you, let's hear what went, what went right. 
I want to know, I want to know your pain, but I also want to know your laughter. And when oftentimes when someone starts therapy, what they want to do is they want to tell their story and they want to tell their story so quickly. And it's like, they've been telling that story over and over and over again. And I'm like, nope, not yet. I don't want to hear it. Mm. I I'd like to know what makes you laugh. I'd like to know, you know, what your how you got here. I want to know what happened right before you got into this session because that's what's going to frame what happens next. It's mm. interesting. When I was walking working in an office, I'm working very virtually now. I worked with clay. Now I'll work with drawings and I'll have people make drawings and show me the drawing. So there are so many different ways to access the stories that have been told over and over again, but allow them to have a a new light, a new dimension so that you're not the victim, you're the victor in in your story. I was going to say that's taking the way you're phrasing it is helping them edit, right? Because we get used to a narrative and we say it over and over and over and over again. And it's almost like you're, you're coming in and interrupting that narrative and, and saying, okay, but what if that, (laughs) it's almost like a plot twist or like the surrounding story that's not always seen and allowing people to go into that space. That is so, that's right. That's right. And, and actually a new ritual is getting formed. And what did happen over this pandemic (laughs) where rituals were, were, were formed and family gatherings happened over Zoom, uh, storybooks got created that were passed around from family member to family member when they lost a loved one. Mm-hmm. And then this, this book, these books were just passed along and everybody had a chance to write their thoughts. And in a way, it becomes a living document. Mm. That's beautiful. I didn't know people had been doing that. Yeah. That's wonderful. So how would you describe for us then, you know, oftentimes when we're not in touch with grief, it can, it can live within us, right? Within our bodies. So how does grief show up in our bodies? And in particular, um, how do you, how does it show up sexually or in the, when we're engaging in? Well, as you and I were, were speaking before we started to record, I am, um, in the process of writing a, a new book. Uh, my first book was It's Grief. And this book, uh, right now, my working title is Sexual Grief, the Human Condition. And sexual grief is very much part of all of our histories. Uh, I think it, it touches most of us. I'm not going to say all of us, but most human beings. And it, it is this idea that whether you've been, you've it, experience sexual trauma, it doesn't necessarily mean sexual abuse and sexual trauma can be something that happens to you over your many years of development, puberty, where something goes haywire that shouldn't have. And it affects you to such a degree that every time you engage in some intimate moment, it, 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 the memories of it come, come up Mm -hmm. and what you want to do what the go-to is to push it down. So if you think about stuffing down, stuffing down, and now I'm answering the broader question, because what we're learning about the gut, what we're learning about autoimmune disorders is that there are 
arms that lead to gut issues, to autoimmune disorders that really have to do with grief and trauma. Hmm. You know, that's really fascinating. I feel too, as I have done work and education around sexuality, I have told people often in my sessions, I'm like, the more education I receive and the more in touch I get with my own story, I grieve for the little girl. I grieve for the adolescents. I grieve for the wife. I grieve for the mother, you know? And Mm -hmm. I feel, I mean, we talked about before, I feel like really so many of us are walking around grief stricken and not understanding fully what that means. Mm -hmm. There's this design and it's uh, actually what part of my branding on my website and it's an Ouroboros and the Ouroboros is the snake that is chasing its tail or eating its tail. And it is really about life and rebirth and death and and, and the cycle. And I, 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 I love the way that you put together this whole idea of, of I grieve for the adolescence and I grieve for the mother and I grieve for the little girl. And if, if only we could reignite the idea of ritual as we move through our life passages mm-hmm. and that we, we honor the, the young woman who finally gets her period, but to understand that for that young girl who gets her period, whether she's nine or 16, that there is a point within the self, whether it's recognized or not, of leaving innocence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we just go get, go, go, go get whatever you need to get. And, you know, now I need to talk to you about the birds and bees or yeah. whatever. And it, the it, whole, like, take it care didn't, of it mentally. Yeah, let's just take care of it. Let's wipe mm-hmm. it clean, which is what we want to do with grief. The reality is, is that those moments, if they can be celebrated as one of those leave-taking moments, that moment of grief and that moment of, of joy that we're on to the next phase and this is for the, the young girl who's first getting her menses and the woman who is now reaching menopause and has no one to talk to about her diminished desire. And her whole life may have been, her whole sexual life wrapped around her sexuality. And now sex hurts or she her desire is flattened. Mm-hmm. And the sexual grief and the grief of the aging process and the letting go of the innocence of being 30 and 20 and 40 and realizing you're in the next phase. And again, we don't honor that. And for men, because this is not just about women, for men, it is, you know, they, they might suffer from because of illness, erectile dysfunction, or they, 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 they may have had a really bad experience and they got laughed at or teased. And then any intimate experience just is chastised and they're taken down in ways that affects their ability to work, to work well, to feel confident, 
to engage in partnership, to be a good parent. All of these things can be affected by one moment that goes mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. You're making me think because I teach a lot of puberty classes to fifth and sixth graders. And oh. I, you know, there's a gamut of, of emotion that continuously pr- happens in the room. And now I'm like, how do I create a ritual for them <laughs> around like, this is a lot, you know, I try to put some positive spins on it, but I also, I do say like, it, it feels like a lot. It feels like a lot, but I, I do think there now needs to be a moment where, you know, to say, we talk about how puber in Latin means adults. And so we're becoming adults and that feels daunting, you know, to become an adult and to look around at adults and be like, some of them are like, I don't want to be like that adult, you know, (laughs) I don't want to be that adult. I don't want to get anywhere near that. You know, there was a a song that we used to sing at camp, you know, I don't want to grow up. Right. I don't want to grow up. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Uh, you know, the, the loss of innocence and, and how can we, how can we craft innocence no matter how old we are? Mm -hmm. And I, that's a question that I continually ponder how to craft the sense of wonder that we so, so very need Mm -hmm. all the time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like part of growing up or sometimes what happens is we lose the we lose that sense of imagination and curiosity. Yes. And I think yes, it's sad. It's so deeply needed. It is. It is. So I recently learned, I, I attended a workshop by um, uh, Bezel van der Kock and uh, he wrote mm. uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's rather magnificent. And so is his wife, Leisha, Leisha Sky. And um, so there were, there were, there were two things that were takeaways for me from this workshop. One was that emotion in Latin is motus, which is movement. And so if we can, yes, find (laughs) some way to give those fifth graders and sixth graders some movement around releasing um, their fear releasing, like even maybe screaming or boy, when you think about becoming like an adult, like, like, do you want to scream or giving them something where they could bang something or they could drum because drumming is so primitive and drumming was the way that could got that, that messages were being communicated. So how can that be instilled? And Leisha Oh, she's got the voice of an angel. And every morning she had us sing something. And this was an old song from an old musical, Oklahoma, but it was, oh, what a beautiful morning. And there were people at at this workshop who were in in their teens, I mean, late teens, 18, 19, and then there were 80-year-olds. And everyone sang, oh, what a beautiful morning. And they put it up and there was music. She played her guitar. And if you didn't know the song, you hummed it. But there wasn't, everybody was smiling. And there was a a release of energy and there Mm -hmm. was innocence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's why I love going to concerts because there's that sense of people coming together and just singing and moving. 
Yeah. Moving movement. So emotion needs movement. Emotion itself is movement. I love that. So, and then I feel like this makes me feel like what I'm saying is great to the kids because I decided to try to give them imagery. And I said, what, show me what happens in your body when you're excited, like get up and move around. Like, I want to see, like, you just want a basketball game. You get to go to a dance. Like, what does your body do? Right. When we're happy and have these emotions that feel good. And so they wiggle around and things like that. And I say, that's right. You know, I want you to think now of emotions like birds. I was like, so those birds are flying. You're letting them fly. You're sharing them with the world. Mm -hmm. They're taking flight. And then I'm like, now show me what happens in your body when we feel frustrated, where we feel fear, where we feel sadness. What do we do? You know, and then they all slouch and, you know, cower. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, we, we push down our feelings because. And they become smaller. Yeah. I'm like, we don't like how they feel. And I'm like, so if those are birds and if our emotions are birds and we're a cage, let's pretend our body is a cage. What's happening if we continuously put birds in a cage and they're not allowed to fly. Mm. And I was like, it can, you know, they're going to peck at each other. They're going to die. They're going to hurt each other. And that's like, what's happening in our bodies. And like, it can make us not well. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so we have to find ways to make those hard feelings for those birds to fly. Yes. And so we talk about coping skills or different ways that they can do that. I'm like, cause we're going to feel a lot of that, especially during puberty. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's yeah. That's oh, that's so beautiful, that's so beautiful. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And so grief needs movement, and when we swallow it, we put it down. We 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 want to make it into some kind of solid form, and we're just going to put it over there. We're going to just pretend that the five hundred pound gorilla is not walking around with us. Then the five hundred pound gorilla weighs us down, which affects our sleep, which affects our relationships, which affects our eating patterns, which affects mm. so many ways that we function in the world yeah. and can take our functioning, you know, down a click. It can also make us hyper vigilant or perfectionistic or you know the judge or the critic is at the door and, 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 and there's the phantom. There's mm-hmm. the phantom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I once wrote about grief, a poem one day, and I described them. I said that grief and love were lovers. Mm-hmm. What would you say about that? Well, it takes us back to Sally Foley's comment, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you can't have love without grief and grief shows you that you've had the capacity to love. Mm. That's beautiful, right? Yeah. I mean, man, when you say it like that, that grief shows you that you have capacity to love, like that's beautiful. Well, in a way, it's really what you just said. Mm. I know that for some reason it sounded better when you said it. Isn't that always the way, you know, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like, you know, you go to a restaurant, you order food when things were normal and, you know, 
your friend or your partner, you know, orders something and you look at their food, it looks always looks so much better somehow. You why know, does that right? happen? <laughs> <laughs> this is why my husband and I just we always share. We're just like, well, let's get this and we split it. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> good. Um, how have you seen people transform after they leave the time with you? There's no cure for mm-hmm. grief. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have this, you know plethora of yellow pills in my pocket. And as long as we can finish the pills, all will be well. Perhaps it's that their yearning has a place Mm -hmm. and what they've learned about themselves along the way has enabled them to find their best selves Mm -hmm. so that the pain and the memories of their grief stop ambushing them. Mm -hmm. They're prepared and they're no longer being held hostage by the hostage taker that grief can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I feel like these becoming older, um, there's within these last five or so years, I've, I've felt grief. I want to say more than I ever have before. And I don't know if it's because I'm being more conscious of it, or it's like speaking to me in a different way because I'm a mother or I'm recognizing in a different way, but it's pretty profound. Um, And I've learned a lot from it and I have appreciated it, but I also find myself at times being stuck. And so, and so is this then the movement factor that you're talking about where like, what do we do when we feel like we are actually really sitting with the grief and actually really engaging with it, but we also feel stuck in it. That's when the hostage taker has taken you. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about in, in the next book, I and I, I just wasn't in that mindset when I when I wrote the last book, is the way that we can learn hostage negotiation techniques. And the hostage mm-hmm. negotiation techniques are actually utilized by the FBI, you know, and you know, men and women uh, in uniform and uh, to, you know, to deal with hostage situations. One of the very first stages of a hostage negotiation is to uh, listen and to listen well. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that when there's that sense of being mired in quicksand and that you're stuck and that the more you fight, the deeper you go mm-hmm. is to listen and to go into an, an active stillness. And what I mean by that is not a stillness where you're like a deer in the headlights, but a stillness of I'm listening And where are you in my body right now? And what do you want me to know? And that the curiosity is that it's that those, the innocence of, okay, so what's going on right now? Is the stuckness perhaps a need for me to slow down because I've been moving so fast? Mm. So that I I need to take pause and, and listen. I need to scan my body. I need to scan for where the, the grief is, is holding me. And, and then you begin to engage and then you begin to develop a relationship with it. It seems that when you don't have a relationship with the grief, that that's when you get most stuck. Not you, but one. Sure. 
Yeah. Hmm. And sometimes listening is hard, right? Listening is the hardest thing because it means that you have to admit that it's there, but it is the listening. When you can listen to it, you're on your way. But knowing that you have the capacity to do that is where your power is. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that, like you said, it is the hardest thing, especially because we're just surrounded by, I feel like constant noise and not necessarily physical noise, but that so many things vying for our attention, social media world, just, you know, like everything is just constantly coming at us and even our thoughts and different things. Mm -hmm. It's like a blinking light at a corner Mm -hmm. and your window faces that blinking light and there's no way to block out the blinking light unless you decide to drop the shades Mm -hmm. and say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the lure. I'm not going to look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go off. I'm actually just going to, to slow down and stop and block it out. Mm -hmm. And we can do that through breath, yoga, exercise, dance. Mm I like dancing. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah. So our time is almost over already. And I'm like, how did this even happen? It went by so fast. Quick. Yeah. Um, So I always ask my guests, what story in your life are you reframing now? It's, it's, I I knew you were going to, going to ask this question and uh, it's a, it's a hard question to answer. Because somehow I feel that I'm reframing, I'm always reframing. Mm. What I know is that I get uh, tripped up by old messaging. Mm -hmm. And the old messaging doesn't belong to me. It never belonged to me, but I decided to own it. And so what I reframe is the old messaging. And I can tell you about a reframe of old messaging within my body. I was, had terrible anxiety when I was in my early twenties to the point where I really couldn't even walk outside, outside period. And there were moments when my heart would race so fast, it would go 180 beats per minute. And I was sitting still, I was Mm -hmm. not running track. Hmm. And the reframe of that was, oh, well, see, you're exercising without ever having to move. And though I am way over that moment in time when I had that kind of anxiety, there are moments when that heart rate will go up and the reframe continues to be, oh, you're exercising without ever having to move. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it stayed with me, you know, I think the other, the other reframe is, and this is what, where I love to, to leave listeners is it's kind of like the story of the wizard of Oz and Dorothy has this huge house that is, you know, that lands on the wicked witch and these, these red shoes are bestowed upon her. And then she goes on this journey and on this journey, she's having to reclaim and claim herself moving from really the innocence of being a girl to being a a, a young woman. And she meets the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion and, and all the different parts of her that she needs to reclaim and find herself. And then she must face all the horrors of the, the poppy seeds and 
all of all of that. And then she comes upon the, the, the Emerald City where all of her hopes and dreams and she's going to be free. And then she finds that the wizard is just this little old man behind a veil. And he doesn't really have the power. And that really, she had the power in her shoes all along. And to know that the way that we reclaim is to realize we've got the power in our shoes and we've had it all along. Hmm. I think today I'm going around and being like, I'm Dorothy. (laughs) Good. I love it. (laughs) That's wonderful. And I'm going to actually admit that I mean it's been a long time but I don't think I ever put all of that together what you just said with the Wizard of Oz which makes me feel a little embarrassed but like you connected everything so beautifully and I'm like yes like that's exactly right (laughs) what you know I was just mostly looking at it as a this little story as a kid and not really Oh, absolutely. And it was a little story and it was a political story and it was a story on so many different levels, but it is a a story um, that is dear to my heart because it really is about life and all the parts that we need. Mm -hmm. You know, we need our brains and we need our brains intact and we need a heart and we need to remember that we've got our hearts Mm -hmm. and we need courage Mm -hmm. to follow our paths and to tangle with grief and the phantom of grief and that somebody who looks so powerful that they're more powerful than us they probably aren't yeah Mm. right yes everyone Mm -hmm. just embrace that today yeah good (laughs) that's wonderful well um Edie how can people find you they can look at my website, ednathan.com. You can find my book, It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss on Amazon and any bookseller that you prefer to go to. And uh, I'm a blogger for Psychology Today and for Medium. And um, if anybody is interested in learning more about me or getting onto my newsletter or would like a a free chapter from my book, you can just go onto my website, give me your email, and I'm happy to send you some some information. And you can also, when the book is ready, pre-order it. So that's awesome. Well, I'm excited for your for your next book. It's so important. So important. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited too. <laughs> <laughs>